Hello listeners, Yamina here. Welcome to the Dr. GPCR podcast. We are excited to share that the Dr. GPCR ecosystem 2.0 platform opens to all beta testers starting June 15, 2022. We plan on opening the ecosystem slowly to resolve any kind of kinks as soon as possible. You can visit us at ecosystem.drgpcr.com and explore the new site. Access is restricted to members of the GPCR field and each signup will be approved based on one's involvement in the field. Once your signup is approved, you'll be able to enter the ecosystem. You'll also have the option to select a plan and get access to all things Dr. GPCR, including the upcoming Dr. GPCR Summit, access to new podcast episodes before they even get released to the general public, our new group discussion and forums, our new and improved job board, and Learning Center, where you'll be able to take a course or even prepare and share a course with your colleagues. Discover GPCR companies in one place and much more. Take advantage of everything that the new GPCR dedicated online playground has to offer today by visiting ecosystem.drgpcr.com and signing up. This is the only place where GPCR scientists, trainees, and GPCR organizations can thrive and where it's only about science and GPCRs. Think ResearchGate meets LinkedIn meets Amazon at the tip of your fingers. Visit ecosystem.drgpcr.com to start your journey today. Also, make sure that you mark your calendar for the third edition of the Dr. GPCR Summit. This year, the summit will be held between October 10th and 16th. Stay tuned for more soon. Visit ecosystem.drgpcr.com or visit our old website, which is still active, drgpcr.com, to explore everything that we've been doing in the past two years. And now, let's dive into this episode. Hello, everyone. This is Yamina from Dr. GPCR. And today, I have the pleasure of having with us Steve McCloskey. He is the CEO and co-founder of Nanome. And today we're going to be talking about Steve, his career, and obviously VR and how it helps scientists solve problems. Hi, Steve. Yeah, thanks for having me. Hey, Amina. Nice to meet you, Steve. It's so great to have you on the podcast. Yeah, it's uh, it's nice to be on the podcast. Yeah, thanks for uh, inviting me on here. It's always a pleasure to talk about GPCRs and other cool science. Awesome. I'm glad. I'm glad to have you here. And before we hit record, we were talking about you know. Um, what we'd like to cover during the podcast. And you had mentioned that your life and Nanome is kind of intertwined, but let's deconvolute that during our time together. And let's start at the beginning. Um, where where did your journey start uh, as a scientist? Um, oh yeah, as a scientist. I mean, I think it started when I was a, a kid. I remember putting together this poster in elementary school with um, kind of like this little figure, like mixing chemicals and stuff. And I was like, huh, like, maybe it'd be cool to be a chemist. Like maybe I'll mix the right thing together that'll magically cure cancer. And yeah, it's just a matter of like having the person like mix the right things. I didn't really have a great understanding of it. But I was like, yeah, seems cool. I was uh, definitely a bunch of people with cancer in my family. And I was, uh, I think part of the the impact as a kid, um, just kind of going through all that. Um, so yeah, that was, my, that was my impetus for being interested in science. I think even before that, I kind of had some like test tubes and like grind up little like plants and, and you know, things that were fragrant and do a little bit of that. Um, so that, that was kind of fun as like a little, little, little kid. Um, but I guess also around the same time period, I, I had my first VR experience, but mm-hmm. I'd say um, that one kind of just stuck in the back of my mind because you couldn't like do VR every day back in the 90s. It was like you tried it once and then you're like, huh. Why aren't all my video games more three-dimensional? <laughs> so what was your first VR experience? What What's the context of it? Um, yeah, so I was at Six Flags Magic Mountain in uh, California, down in uh, like near LA, basically. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I was just going there because it was summer and, and you would go on roller coasters. It was, it was a fun thing to do <laughs> as a kid. Um, but I remember they had this little um, like cyberpunk looking like encapsulated enclosure thing and i was like oh this looks cool so we go over there and there's people with like vr headsets on and these little like um i don't know circles that like you can move around in um in the 3d environment so you don't just run into a wall and i was like this looks cool like i want to do this and yeah i think my, my brother had done something else and my mom was always like oh you guys need to be equal so like 
you know, James, like you tried that. So Steven, you get to try this one or whatever. So I got to try the VR thing. I was really happy about it um, because it was just like a mind blowing experience. Like you put on the, you know, and now I call them headsets, but this thing like was a helmet. <laughs> you know, you put on this <laughs> this helmet at the time and, um, you know, you're, you're in this immersive world and you're like pretending like you're, you're Pac-Man and you're like running around. Like I still have these like memories, I think these like spatial memories of that moment. Uh, just because it was it was so new, it was so different. I like I didn't know computers could could be like that. And um, yeah, I was always kind of interested in 3D a little bit at that point, like um, the red blue stereo glasses and trying to just get the 3D experience. But nothing was really there. Like that was presence, you know. Like trying to recreate presence with 3D glasses, it's never going to work, you know. Like you're going to see, oh, here's a little bit of stereo. Um, but, you know, when you hit the head tracking and, and the VR headset on your head, uh, it's so much better. You know, it's like you're, you're in the environment. And, uh, yeah, just kind of always thought about that. And uh, yeah, wanted my, my video games and, and all that to just be more 3D. More real life experiences, for sure. Yeah. So what took you from, you know, little kid chemistry, then VR experience into where you are today? Uh, yeah, so in high school, you know, I got deeper into different science engineering stuff. Like my dad's an aerospace engineer, so I um, started, uh, you know, working on cars and, and stuff like that. But the, the big thing was I bought a, uh, a old Mercedes diesel uh, off of my cousin and converted it to run off vegetable oil. And that was like really fun. A lot of mechanical stuff. Like I was into sustainability and like, you know, not using fossil fuels every day. So I was like trying to get waste vegetable oil for a while. Uh, that was its own thing with everyone being under contract and not give away their oil. And um, yeah, you'd get it from some places, but not from a lot of them. So, you yeah, know, that, that was cool, but um, it wasn't where I thought like transportation technology really needed to be in terms of like can everybody have this like waste vegetable oil like there's not enough waste vegetable to go around you know should you do the algae oil like got into kind of algae oil in um yeah i guess high school with researching in a bit and then uh, i went to uc san diego to study uh, biochemistry in the chemistry department and it was like yeah you know this is cool like potential pre-med or, or do all the other science stuff i'm interested in like i'll, I'll figure it out and then uh, immediately, the first quarter, I learned we had a nanoengineering program. And I was like, oh, nanoengineering. This sounds cool. I'll check it out. And so it was basically all the people working on cancer and, and new materials and solar and battery and, and just all these all these cool areas of technology that we were all happening at the nanoscale. So kind of thought like, all right, if I understand nanoscale, I'll probably understand like everything else in the world because everything's happening at the nanoscale and I'll be able to to do cool things with it and you know probably help with cancer and probably help with the solar and, and new battery technology and all that and uh yeah you know i started taking the classes uh talked with the uh the chair of the nanoengineering department um about doing some lab research he really liked all my diagrams from converting my car to runoff vegetable oil and was like all right like even though you're a freshman you could probably do all right in a lab so mm -hmm. Started working in a, in a material science nanoengineering lab, got my hands on with microscopes and other, you know, cool equipment that allowed you to, you know, characterize nanoscale phenomena and uh, interpret that. And yeah, I just loved it. Like being able to zoom down on an electron microscope, it's still a great feeling. Like I wish I, I had one in my office just to be able to, you know, <laughs> look at different things and see what's actually happening at the nanoscale. That's so, so interesting. So you went from, you know, little kid mixing up chemicals to to definitely keeping that tinkering need. Yeah, definitely. And then so you went you went to UC San Diego, you studied uh, um, biotechnology, you started out with chemistry, biochemistry. And then how did the idea of of creating nano come from? So Where does the all... VR come it all kind of came together where, you know, between looking at electron microscope stuff and, and really getting an understanding for the nanoscale world, um, going through the coursework and, and just seeing like how bad 2D was, whether it was like chalkboards or projectors or um, different uh, just computer screens with like uh, sort of 3D graphics on a, on a 2D screen, yep. um, kind of got into more computational uh, programs like um, yeah, different molecular dynamics and things like that. Uh, through one of my courses and then uh, yeah just got really interested in that whole field and started exploring different uh, you know 2D 
slash 3D like mouse and keyboard based design interfaces and analysis and, and you'd be looking at proteins and materials and other cool stuff. And I was like, yeah, this is good, but like, I don't feel like a nano engineer. Like how, how do you, how do you become a real nano engineer? Yeah. And, you know, I, I thought, well, Hey, like we need to like literally have these things in front of us. And like, uh, I was kind of already into Google glass and like other like things like that. I, I wrote this one paper on like, I don't know, like transhumanism to the extent of like, it was like gender and body in the media was like the general topic, but then you got to like write your own subtopics. And so I wrote about um, like human modification and like amputees uh, versus like, I don't know, Terminator and other sort of like cyborg-esque and, and yeah. sort of drew, drew the comparison of like how a lot of media tries to alienate, um, you know, having mechanical bits, you know, mixed with humans. And um, there were some things about people like beating up this guy that had a Google Glass. And um, I don't know, I just thought there was a lot of like interesting stuff going on in that field. But um, anyway, so head-mounted displays were kind of on my radar. Mm -hmm. And I saw the Oculus Kickstarter and I didn't buy. I was like, all right, Kickstarter has failed. I've been burned before. Let's see where this goes. And they actually delivered the DK1. And I was like, wow, nice. And then they were talking about the DK2, the Oculus Developer Kit 2. And I was like, oh, it sounds cool. Like, you know, started looking into that. Um, you read uh, some people's reviews about it. And I ordered it in 2014 uh, to try to be like, all right, this thing seems like it has the potential to be like that experience I had as a kid. Yeah. If that's the case, then I'll be able to like literally be in there with my molecules. And I was still skeptic. I was like, Hmm, is this going to work or not? And so I waited my eight weeks to get the headset and I put it on. And immediately I was like, Oh my God, like this is, this is it. This is the thing that I need. All right. Like how do I get my hands in here next? Because like if I have this thing and I get my hands on, like I'll really be a nano engineer and I'll be able to like build stuff at the nano scale and like tinker and send it off to run computation and then analyze that and, and, and do some more stuff. So I, I just got really excited. I showed it to my PI, I showed it to all my friends, um, eventually showed it to the uh, art department at uh, UC San Diego, the visual arts department. And I actually requested a uh, what they were calling like art studios Mm -hmm. But they were um, literally like next door to other like nano engineering labs. And it was the same layout, the same, you know, like building, basically they had all the cool stuff in there. And it was just like kind of empty as like a little storage room because the art department was underutilizing it. But their whole thing of making those spaces was uh, do some sort of like Bauhaus, like art plus science and engineering all mixed together. And no one was really doing that. And I was like, well, this is getting nano engineering accessible to people like artists could ever potentially come in and like make some like nano art and, you know, eventually, right. You want to make it so powerful that you know, artists can make real cool stuff. Um, and yeah. just anybody can make cool stuff. And I think the art department really liked that, like democratizing access to scientific tools and, and getting more people on board and, and kind of working with artists and other people, uh, because, yeah, this is a 3D user interface problem for the most part that just happens to be applied to the nanoscale um, that are solving other issues with that. So um, there's a lot of cognitive science, computer science, um, and, and other areas that we all kind of got together in that art studio. And uh, yeah, just really started building out the team, building out the prototypes, and, and eventually the, the uh, yeah, product when we moved to another part of campus, we moved to the Qualcomm Institute, which is like office space you can rent. Um, by that point, we, you know, we already had the co-founders put together. Um, we had like an intern army uh, for a little bit as well. And then we ended up hiring some of those interns as our first employees. Wow. What a, what a great adventure. Yeah, it's been fun. I'm really happy to, to have my co-founders you know, along the way. Like, um, yeah, 2014, it was just me. And you know, I got my, my friend Sam to, to help out. He was on the rugby team with me. Uh, I met Keita at like a VR film festival promotion event. I uh, met Agardo at a, a tech to reconnect night at the San Diego Zoo. And um, it turns out that we all knew each other's networks and all that. And like um, Sam's wife was friends with Keita, but then Edgardo's sister was friends with my fiance. And uh, <laughs> I was like, everyone just kind of knew each other already. It was, it was really cool. That is awesome. Um, you mentioned uh, something interesting about democratizing, you know, access to these kind of tools. And yeah, it sounds to me that the university was really um, trying to help and provide you the space and provide you the opportunity to build out, you know, the, the 
lay down the foundation of the company? Was it difficult to, you know, pull in the different teams together from from at the university? Uh, I'd say the university is like, or at least at the time was like passively supporting this. I think they're trying to be more active to like recreate what we did. And uh, at the time it was like, you know, that no one's going to tell you that you have this available to you. But if you ask the right people and get connected with the right people, and there's nothing stopping you from asking those people and connecting with them, um, then you could do it. And I think that that's um, one of the big things that, yeah, the campus wouldn't really promote that this is what's going on. Mm-hmm. But, you know, if you just talked with the professor and the professor was managing a space, like, yeah, it's up to their, them and their decision. So um, it's really, you know, at the, uh, you know, micro level of, you know, it's just this professor is owner of this office or this art studio, um, you know, are, are they down with it? And yeah, first it was Ricardo Dominguez, who's a uh, very uh, interesting uh, character around UC San Diego. Um, he's in the visual arts department, more of a performance artist. Um, I really love him. I think he's a, he's a cool guy. Um, but he's done some some very interesting like performance art that's like made the the media news before. Um, so, um, but he was a part of this like digital like hacker thing like way back in the day with like Sheldon Brown, and I think he's just got a cool art history there. Um, but then the lab ended up going to Benjamin Bratton, um, who's also a, an interesting character in the visual arts department, who's also like not you know creating art, paint, or sculptures or anything like that. Uh, but he's more on the uh, like global sociology type of perspective. Um, yeah, he's an interesting thinker, and he's got some books out. But um, I'd recommend the stack. So it's, uh, it's kind of a, a large, large book. But the stack of Benjamin Bratton kind of breaks down how um, you know different companies and, and things kind of function in the world through uh, this this thing called the stack, where you have like user interface, address, city, cloud, earth. And I, I think it's a cool model. Um, yeah, we're kind of seeing that emerge with different decentralized models like DAOs that are popping up. I think they kind of you know, fit into that same paradigm as well. Um, but yeah, you know, the university, I think, has been you know, supportive of what we do. Um, but it's all been at like individual levels, I guess. But keep meeting the individuals, eventually meet the chancellor. And the chancellor is like, cool, keep it up. Stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And you made another great point by, you know, mentioning that you had to do the legwork. The university yeah. wasn't against it, but you had to do the legwork. And I think it's, it's very important to put it out there and to put in, uh, you know, to shine a light on the fact that you had a passion. Yeah. Uh, you found a way to make it a reality. And you just, there's nothing wrong with asking the question. You ask the right questions. You found the people who you should be asking those questions from, and then you were able to build out something incredible out of that. Thanks. Yeah, I and mean, it takes a while, um, a lot of persistence because, um, yeah, like we, we almost got kicked out of the lab when I was going from Ricardo to Benjamin, but then I just met with Benjamin and convinced him. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. just got to keep convincing the, the next people. And, yeah, eventually you get a community of people that just all believe in it. And they're like, yeah, like this is the future. Like, of course it makes sense. Like proteins, molecules, crystals, like it's all three-dimensional. Like, why don't we have a 3D user interface for all this where you get hands-on? And um, so yeah, you know, more and more people are, are you know, becoming enlightened to that every day. Um, but yeah, some of them got burned out by other technology, like 3D glasses. And I think they had the same experience of me as a kid, which is like, 3D classes are cool and all, but it's not that same like full immersive, like Tony Stark, Jarvis, holograms everywhere yeah. type of experience. Like how do we get that to the scientists? You know? Yeah, and I think it's it's very important. All right, two questions. Um, mm-hmm. When you were, uh, with when you had your first experience with VR, did you know what you wanted to become? Did you ever think that you'd be where you are today? No, no, I mean, that's, yeah. I, it was hard to like fathom uh, like if it was even real or not, because it's like, it's almost like an illusion or like a dream or memory. But of course, you know, like these, these are real experiences, you know, as a, you know, some philosophers say today, it's like experiences in the metaverse are completely real because they're, they're shared, they're tangible. Um, they could be you know, recalled by multiple people and, and, and verify that like, Hey, I was in VR at this day in this virtual environment with this other person. Um, but at the time, I, I don't know, I just feel like it was this whimsical, like transient experience where I just was like in there and then took that set off and then I was just back and I was like, huh, 
like how do I, how do I get that again? You know, obviously it's an expensive headset. All that. Um, but yeah, no, I didn't didn't know that I was gonna end up founding a company and, and being CEO of it and, and having it very virtual reality uh, centric or you know mixed reality, extended reality, augmented reality. Yeah, it's uh, really just spatial computing, I guess, is one of the umbrella terms for it. It's that's it's it's such a I think it's such a unique experience that you just described and that you went through to get to, to where you are today. Um, the other question I had for you is, tell us a little bit more about the difficulties that you faced because most of the time and most of my guests, you know, we talk about their achievements, but I always like to dig into some of the difficulties that they've had during their career and how they overcame those. We talked about persistence, the fact that, you know, you had to, when the lab owners switched, you had to really convince uh, the next person to let you stay and continue. but. Anything else you could share with us would be very useful. Uh, yeah, I mean, in the beginning, there were also a lot of people that uh, just didn't think the idea was going to work. You know, like, who's going to buy it? Is pharma really going to pay for this? Like, does it actually help with science and research? Is this just a toy? You know, VR died in the 90s. Um, yeah, there was all this negativity and people that were just, I don't even know why. Like, you know, if you, if you don't believe in some technology, like, sure, I guess that's your prerogative. But um, I don't know. To just go around like spreading the hate just seems kind of silly. Like a lot of people do that with blockchain nowadays too. Like, um, you know, just hop on the NFT hate train. Like, sure, there's a lot of speculation around NFTs and and, and all that. But um, there's also some some cool things that the technology unlocks that can never be done before. And I feel like we should be leaning more into like the positives of technology because always there's going to be positives and negatives with you know every new technology it's you know a common thing throughout history um but leaning into the positives and trying to just have more positives come out of the technology and see really you know identify what those positive things could be like for us so many zombie shooters and like vr video games and roller coasters and stuff out there it's like all right the world probably doesn't need a few more of those um, but the world needs access to you know, molecules in, in virtual reality to help with things like the COVID-19 pandemic and, and, and curing cancer and being able to connect around the world and be virtually present with uh, teams of scientists that are geographically distributed or working from home. Um, so, yeah, you know, just trying to, to lean into the things that work and, and make sense. And uh, yeah, just ignore the haters, right? It sounds cliche, but uh, I think it's true. Like, you know, the, the haters eventually stop hating when they realize that they were wrong. And that's that's their own journey. Yeah, Keep, keeping the course, keeping the course of, you know, where where you want to go. Um, and what? How, how big is Danum? First of all, yeah, let me take a step back. Where did uh -huh. the name come from? Oh, yeah. So, um, you know, nano, right, being really small and then uh, omics and, and ohm and, and dome genome, you know, this being like the uh, the everything view of everything that's happening, like with genomics, it's looking at the entire genome. Um, yeah. And so with the proteome, you know, you're looking at the entire collection of all the proteins that are out there. Um, so with nano, we're looking at the entirety of everything at the nanoscale and like, you know, really trying to build the home for, for nanoscale design or you have a whole ultimate interface for molecular design, right? So many ways to phrase it, but really just, I think nano encapsulates it because it's just, everything's happening on nanoscale. And if you start there and you start you know, working on new um, new designs and creations and all that, um, you want to see how that ends up helping the macro scale, whether it's a new drug or a new enzyme to break down plastic or you know, capture carbon. There's just so many cool things happening. Um, so yeah, that's where nano comes about. And the logo design, did you spend a lot of time arguing with your co-founder and the team and trying to figure this out? I'm, I'm asking because sometimes yeah. it's a difficult decision and ideally you don't want to rebrand after a year because you realize it actually wasn't a good choice. Yeah. Um, so on the logo, we actually had an old logo that was um, kind of similar. It was like a thinner version of the current logo and like the um, the floating object was, was flipped to the other side and, and it kind of looked like an N. Mm -hmm. um, and then this was like a more kind of like cleaned up um, version of this. Like I really like this version of it. And yeah, I feel like yeah, there's, uh, there's so many cool things you could kind of see out of it. But you know, one of them is like you know having like your whole like uh, you know uh, interface for you know like interacting with things like this futuristic keyboard, and then you have this like floating little um, like AI companion kind of helping out. So mm -hmm. 
Um, I mean, this is one, it's, it does kind of look like an N as well. So um, yeah, we worked with um, a design team uh, around that as part of, you know, kind of getting uh, the brand together. Cause I think we have this really, you know, uh, put together <laughs> brand from the co-founders with, yeah, the, the name stuck. Yeah, Nanum was a cool name. I think we all liked it. And then um, just like the logo and, and other things we, we all kind of agreed upon at that point. Amazing, amazing. And then you mentioned that you kind of the, the founding team, you all knew each other in some ways. But over the years, how did you how did you grow? How did you scale? Uh, yeah, well, you know, we've traveled around the world together. Uh, we've you know slept in the same Airbnbs and yeah, <laughs> have hung out numerous times. And um, yeah, we're just you know, always always hanging out, whether it's online. Uh, I played Population One, which is a virtual reality uh, battle royale game. Uh, I played that with Edgardo and Sam a lot during the pandemic because we couldn't hang out in person. So we just have to you know, go into VR and, and connect and hang out and, and it was really fun. So yeah, you know, we've, it's just like traveling creates, a, I think a new bond um, where you're all experiencing new stuff and, and you're all you know, seeing cool places, but you're also hustling to get to the next meeting on time. And, yep. Um, it just feels great to do business travel with good friends and, and co-founders. Um, I think it's, it's one of the best, like most rewarding experiences you could have. That's fantastic. And I think I think the the concept makes the Nanom very unique. Um, what was the landscape like when you started Nanom? Were there any other com- competitors you would have, or you know, where would how how easy was it to get situated and have that space in the market? Yeah, um, in 2014, there was like nothing. I mean, there was yeah, some 3D glasses, like the stereo glasses with like um, other 2D applications with mouse and keyboard. So that was, I guess, the closest. But then nobody was doing like head-mounted displays like Oculus Base. Um, and then I think a year later, I ended up seeing this like molecular rift. And I was like, oh, like this sounds kind of cool to what we want to do, but a little bit different. Like, you know, it's this academic project, like, yeah, I like that. I never really got it to work and never really tried it. But um, yeah, I, I just thought it was cool. Like they were having little videos and all that. Um, but yeah, you know, kept building what I wanted to build because I was more about engineering and, and not just visualization. Like a lot of people ask, is this a good visualization tool? It is a good visualization tool. Um, but it's a great communication, collaboration, and design tool as well. And yeah, I really wanted to build a tool that like satisfied all that. It wasn't just like, you know, only a static protein that you can't edit, can't modify, can't send out and run simulation. Yeah. So I just wanted so much more. And so, um, you know, kept building the product and eventually we got the product in the hands of Professor Zoran Radic at UC San Diego and the Structural Biology uh, Skag School of Pharmacy. And he was super into all this stuff. Like he was older in the 90s when VR came about. And I think tried it and then tried all the 3D glasses and then, you know, tried to get that working and eventually ordered an Oculus uh, Rift DK2 and tried to get molecular Rift working. And I don't think he was able to set it up either. Um, but I did see a picture of him with the headset on uh, for like some research expo at UC San Diego. And I was like, huh, this guy's got a VR headset. It looks like he's got some molecules in the background, like. This sounds cool. I think one of our interns shared it with me and was like, there's this guy here doing VR molecule stuff. I was like, oh, cool. Research Expo tomorrow, 10 a.m. Price Center. I don't know if it was 10 a.m. So, yeah. Yeah, so I showed up and I found him and he's got this you know, huge monitor or a huge TV, like a 60-inch TV that he wheeled out there. And he's he's got all of his molecules and like you know, Pimo or something like thrown up there. And I was like, hey, how's it going? Like I saw online on Facebook that you had a picture of a VR headset and he's like, oh yeah, it's like, yeah, I really like uh, the concept, but I can't get it working. I'm like, do I have something to show you? (laughs) Come by our office, which was also on campus now in the Qualcomm Institute where we were paying rents and and got to Mm -hmm. keep our intellectual property, all that. So it's kind of a cool situation. Um, So we invited him to our office and he puts on the headset and he's like, wow, this is amazing. Like, (laughs) this is exactly what I want. Like, can I have this protein, this protein, this protein? And our parser wasn't great at the time. So it was kind of like very manual. So we then built a uh, a demo for him with all of his proteins. And he had this like Yu-Gi-Oh panel on his like left wrist uh, where you can select all of them. And that was like super early prototype of all this. And he absolutely loved it. 
Uh, he's like, this is amazing. Like, oh my God, like my molecules, like so much space in here and so many new things that I'm seeing. And so, um, yeah, he, he kind of became our first customer. Like he literally um, yeah, bought it with his credit card with their little Stripe reader machine and the <laughs> cell phone. And uh, yeah, that was like our first official sale. And, and shortly after that, we started working with uh, Novartis GNF in San Diego as well. And um, yeah, it's just been really great to, to find these people that always wanted this, you know, for like 30 years. And they even you know, might have gotten burnt out on the technology previously. Uh, but now they're just like the biggest champions because we're like, yeah, technology finally came together. Like, thank you, gamers, for bringing that to science because now we could use this for research. Absolutely, absolutely. And I, I love, I love the. I could see, you know, the little card reader on the on the phone <laughs> happening, and it's it's amazing that you know there is these tools that allow scientists to actually see their molecules, and it's. It's not, not every scientist has the ability, I don't for sure, the ability to imagine the molecule in space. And every time I see a, two, a 3D model on a 2D monitor, I'm like, okay, whatever that means. I don't know, I can't see it. So having that tool is really amazing. Yeah, I always um, didn't like it. Like even with uh, learning like 3D math, um, like you know, when you have the X axis and the Y axis, and then you have that like diagonal Z axis. Yep. And it's supposed to be going like into the page, but really it's just a diagonal line on a piece of paper. And yep. it, yeah, I, I got it a bit, but I always just thought it was really lackluster and just like a bad way of doing that. And like, yep. it was really hard to explain concepts of like going from, you know, three, two, two in space to like negative one, five, four, and like just kind of interpolating where these things were. So yeah, like same boat with you. Like uh, some people, I guess, say that they have it better. Uh, I've noticed mine has gotten better by just doing things in VR. Like mm -hmm. I, I have spatial memories and I feel like that's kind of, yeah. you know, kickstarted my, my 3D visualization of proteins and all that outside of VR. Um, but yeah, but yeah, if someone's just imagining the 3D model in their head, that's not a real experience. Yeah, that's just a thought. Like, you know, if for in order for it to be a real experience, it needs to be like shareable and tangible, even if it's still virtual. Exactly. Um, and and so like you can't invite somebody into your head, but you can invite them into nano and then show them everything that was in your head and, and communicate that in a meaningful way. I love it. I love it. And so we've we're talking we've been talking about molecules, and every time you were mentioning the, this professor and you kind of loaded the molecule, his molecules, I, all I had in mind is, you know, uh, loading the program in the matrix <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and being able to do that. So let's, let's talk a little bit about who are the scientists who benefit from nanome and in the context of the GPCR field as well, because at, mm -hmm. at the end of the day, most of, of the people listening to the program are GPCR scientists. So if somebody comes up to you and say, well, I'm a GPCR scientist, how would nanome and if the technology benefit my research, what would be your answer? Um, man, there's so many ways that it benefits the research. It's hard to just kind of pick one. Let's um, yeah, start at the beginning. So yeah, so GPCR is um, kind of, you know, might have complicated mechanisms of, of action. It might be kind of hard to understand, maybe with some cryptic binding pockets and other areas that are, um, I, I guess, allosteric and, and like might modulate the receptor in different ways. And, you know, it, it's all very nuanced. And if you don't understand those nuances fully, then you're not really gonna understand your protein and not really understand how to target it. Um, so, you know, by using virtual reality, you're able to understand all those nuances pretty immediately and, and give you new insights that you might've never had before. It's really, and I think it goes back to really seeing in 3D and being with your molecule basically and being able to touch it and and manipulate it more Definitely. than just seeing it on, on the screen. Yeah, well, and seeing molecular dynamics of your molecule as well and kind of seeing how it moves over time and might open up and um, you, know, you lose a lot of information when you play a, essentially a 4D video, which is yeah. you know a 3D molecule moving over time. Yeah. Uh, when you play that on a 2D screen, um, you, you lose at least you know, one dimensionality of that. Yeah, if you're in 3D VR, um, the molecules are natively 3D in front of you, and then you play it over time, and you see everything. Um, there's no missed little bit hanging out behind that. Like you just yeah. you get the full experience. Yeah, and you 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 made a point very interestingly before that that you actually get the memory 
of, of, mm -hmm. of seeing it in space and you can share that experience, which I think is very unique, um, a unique experience. We could both be looking at the same, you know, image on the computer that's moving, but it's not the same thing as being into in virtual reality and being able to kind of pull and, and tug on it and, you know, move it in a way to explain your point. Yeah, you know, even in uh, 2D, right? You know, if, if we're looking over each other's shoulders at the same monitor, you, know, you could actually share like the same 2D experience. But a lot of the time over things like Zoom, uh, when you do the screen share, there's like a limited frame rate that you're sharing at. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of it's pretty bad because it's video based. Um, what we were really surprised at, there is no natively networked 2D uh, molecular applications out there. Just like, yeah, we have video games that have networking. And like when I play a video game, there's no video stream going from some other person's Xbox or PC over to my you know, computer. It's my own computer rendering my own graphics. And then there's really tiny network packages that you know go over to the other person and say, I moved or you know, I, I shot yeah. whatever, um, or I captured the flag, you know, whatever game we're playing. So there's no natively networked molecular applications besides ours like it's just so weird that nobody just made like a collaborative 2d version of, of molecule viewers that you would both render graphics locally and then just stream movement information across the two people but yeah we, we had to do that right it's like it's the way that vr has to be done and so you have yeah. the, the graphics rendered locally due to latency and then you have um, you know, just all the coordinate updates of I moved a protein here and, and all that's being transmitted over the network. So yeah, yeah, collaboration is key. Yeah, yeah. And I think I think as you mentioned, I think before we hit record is or after I can't remember, the, the fact that having the ability to be in the same room virtually during COVID was also in a way a lifesaver because you were still able to interact. Agree that it's not the yep. same thing as you know seeing seeing you in person and shaking your hand and doing this interview, but it's a nice uh, alternative. It was great. Like I didn't see you know Sam and Agardo for over a year, you know, until um, we we all got vaccinated, and then we're like, well, COVID numbers are low. We're vaccinated. Like it's not novel, or it's gonna kill us. Like you know, forget it. Yeah. Probably get sick a bit, but um, at least yeah. we're vaccinated, so it's not gonna be as bad. But anyways, yeah, when we connected and saw each other, it was like we were hanging out the whole time. You know, it wasn't like, oh, I haven't seen you. Like, let's catch up. It's like we were caught up because we were always talking. We were always hanging out. Yeah. Um, but it was just cool to be able to see each other in person. Yeah. I still remember that day. It was awesome. It was like my first actual day out, like <laughs> after the whole pandemic. It was like you know, two weeks after the vaccine. We went over to Encinitas. We got some like pizza and stuff. It was just you know, walked along the boardwalk outside, like went to the beach and, and just looked at it for a bit because we had our clothes on, you know, so didn't go swimming, but just yeah. really nice to walk over there in that area. Um, but yeah, yeah, but without the arm, without that during the pandemic, I feel like it just would have been, hey, I had no clue what's going on in your life. Like we haven't yeah. seen each other in so long, but yeah, yeah with VR, it's just we were already connected. That's so interesting. What do you think is the future of, you know, meetings across the you know across the world because at this point you could even say well let's let's meet you know have a team distributed worldwide and we could meet in vr that's what we do for like you know 360 days out of a year and then uh we bring everybody down to san diego to meet in person at our um, like anniversary and then you know, bring <laughs> everybody in and it's really nice to be able to see people, but um, yeah, it's cool because you know we're all hanging out and um, either you know 2D video calls like this or just you know in virtual reality together. Um, so you know we always have these digital contact points, but yeah, it's so much cooler to be able to hang out with new people in VR um, and then eventually meet them. You're like, wait, wait, wait did we meet? Yeah, yeah, we just met in VR. That's right, <laughs> but we did meet. <laughs> Do you think do you think the world is going towards uh, having these meetings, you know, replacing kind of Zoom type of applications and going into the VR experience? I think it depends what you're doing, because um, if we're in a, you know, I don't know, texting or like Morse code, yeah, it's like, oh, it's, it's used for some stuff, right? Or, you know, uh, audio calls with no video, right? I, I yeah. still make those and it's not like videos 100% uh, on all the time. Yeah. Um, and now we have video calls, but I think anytime that you're working with like structural three-dimensional data, 
Yeah. Uh, you should be probably doing it in an immersive environment because you know sharing 3D things over like a video stream is just inefficient and not really the way it should be done. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I definitely do think that we are moving to be doing more stuff because in addition to the obvious cases where you're working with three-dimensional data and it needs to be shared amongst multiple people, mm-hmm. absolutely makes sense that way. Um, there's also other benefits that are more social and like cognitive associated with uh, being in the same virtual environment and meeting people. Um, so yeah, maybe it will just be a general replacement for everything. Um, but in our lens, you know, we're starting with the very obvious use cases of you are doing this so inefficiently with these 2D screens and, and, and streaming it and all that, like just get in to your protein and get into your data and like understand it better. Like it's it's the way it should be done and um, it'll, it'll help you. And so, um, yeah, you know, it, it's the inevitable future, I think, for the molecular industries, and it's the inevitable future, I think, for uh, many other applications that are social or, or gaming or entertainment. And yeah, there's a lot going on with it. Like, I don't think it's going to stop. That's amazing. That's amazing. I can't. Uh, full disclosure, as I mentioned before, we hit record. I have not tried it yet, but I cannot wait to try it in the upcoming weeks, and I'll I'll tell you all about it. I've never worn a VR headset. I've never been in a VR environment um, just because I didn't get a chance to do it, but I can't wait to, to try it out. Am, am I hyping it up too much? Or are you just going to put up, put on the headset and be like, ah, oh, okay. That's kind of what <laughs> Steve talked about. This makes sense. Like. <laughs> I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. I honestly don't know. I'm always open to trying new things and testing out new things because that's the best way to kind of forge an opinion. Uh, right now I'm intrigued. Uh, you're gonna record your your first uh moments in in vr (laughs) we should we should we should record them i think it's it's just an inevitable way of looking as you mentioned at molecules and and moving ahead and hopefully at some point it'll be such an easy and um you know technology that everybody has access to independently of you know the science part of it that you can you can have those experiences in vr not to replace the human experience, you know, the face-to-face, the in-person, but to kind of complement that when it's not possible to meet. Yeah, and, and everyone, you know, there's new headsets that do mixed reality, um, like the Vario XR3, and then um, I think, you know, Meta has been teasing some other thing, like Sadan Zuckerberg's head, they like blurred it out. Um, but, it, you know, people are talking about mixed reality now, where instead mm-hmm. of just being closed off and being in the virtual environment, yeah. you actually have cameras that give you a live feed of the real world. So it kind of feels like augmented reality or how you would think augmented reality would be. Um, but it's the actual way to make it right now, because um, transparent augmented reality screens, traditionally, they have a really low field of view, lower resolution, all that. Um, but with this, you get the full resolution and full field of view of virtual reality. Uh, but then you get the cameras that give you the feed of real life. So it just, it looks really cool. Yeah, I'm happy to to, to show you uh, the Barrio XR3 if you're ever in San Diego. That'll probably blow your mind as like, because VR people get their mind blown with that because it's the <laughs> next level of like mixed reality. Nice. Um, but yeah, it might be good to get started with virtual reality and then yes. you know, move over there. But yeah, yeah, you don't ever need to close off from your colleagues in person. You can be next to them, still see them and see the molecules in front of you. Nice. I think that's that's next next level. I think it's really really awesome. Yeah, I mean it's happening sooner uh, than you think, right? Because um, yeah, the Vario's it's out, but it's kind of expensive, and mm-hmm. I think it's only a matter of time before that type of technology gets you know commoditized and, and brought to the masses. Yeah, yeah. Well, everything is a matter of time, and what I was just thinking about it, just think about you know 10, 10 years ago or fifteen years ago, and what kind of phones we had fifteen years oh, yeah. ago. <laughs> You know, I, I was talking to someone. I didn't and have we were, a phone 15 years ago. Right? <laughs> Sorry, you um, talking to someone? I did have a phone, but it definitely wasn't anything, uh, you know, high-end. It was just a functional phone where you could just make phone calls. You did not want to text more than yes or no because yeah. it was just taking too long. But we were just, I was talking to someone a couple of weeks ago, and we were talking about, you know, the internet and using Netscape instead of internet explorer and we're like wow that was a long time ago but it actually wasn't that long ago yeah i remember no very well right yeah america online and, and logging in with that and like that being my my browser i guess and you know having aol instant messenger yeah that was a it's a fun time and uh yeah i was like i was in middle school or something back then 
Yeah. But um, yeah, I remember it was it was nice to to go on AIM and be able to chat with people and it's like right. kind of the first digital connected experiences where you see people in real life and you still chat with them digitally and yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. really like that. And then fast forward to today and perhaps tomorrow soon, you'll be able to be in 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 VR looking at your or you know looking at your molecule but still see what's happening around you. I think it's it's yeah. really this accelerated evolution of, of things technology wise yeah like instant messaging has been taken for granted and like video calls everyone have been taken you know, by the next generation like taken for yeah. granted it's like oh yeah like this is just obvious like everyone yeah. does this yeah um and yeah i think that immersive environments will be the next thing like oh yeah it's obvious like everyone does this yeah um, well, but... <laughs> it's so funny because i i have two two young kids and both of them think that every screen is a touch screen Oh yeah, <laughs> which I think yeah. is really funny, <laughs> and I don't think neither of them has seen like a good old telephone that you just pick up and then you have to either push the buttons or you have the little dial. Oh man, this thing! Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's important to keep in mind where we came from, but then again, look forward to the future. Yeah, you um, have like the two-piece phone as well. Yes, you know? <laughs> well, yeah, <laughs> a little bit too young for that, but almost. Well, I mean, it's it's interesting, right? Because we both have uh, microphones right now, right? Yes. And then we have the headphones, and yes. so we've 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 regressed, right? We've gone back to having you know the the microphone and, and the and the headphone, you yeah. know, yeah. two-part system as opposed to yeah. the, the whole all-in-one. We're, we're, we're there, yeah, and I had to put set it up so that the uh, computer uses the microphone, which is a better high-end microphone and not mm -hmm. the uh, microphone from the computer or the headset. Yep. So, so sometimes that's that's one adjustment that needs to be made on Zoom to make sure that the audio coming in, going in is not not the, going into the same source. Uh, but yeah, we're you're right, we're, we're there. We're just not holding it in our hands. Anymore. Yeah, just not holding it. Yeah, that got a little stand yeah. up. Yeah. There's no, there's no operator between us. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's nobody connecting little uh, yes, wire switchboards. Yeah, exactly. And having one or two number phone numbers. <laughs> yeah. All right. Super. Thank you so much, Steve, for being here. Um, I cannot wait to to try out the platform. I'm really excited to what's what's next for Nano. And uh, if if anyone's listening or whoever's listening to this episode, I invite them to discuss to go and take a look at the website and discover the new technology and hopefully it might be useful to their research on an everyday basis. Oh yeah, thanks. Yeah, you can check out nanom.com. You know, it'll redirect to nanom.ai, uh, which is like our, our main domain that we use. And uh, yeah, feel free to, to download it if you already have your, your Quest 2 or other virtual reality headset. Um, you know, it's available on Steam, it's on Oculus, like there's a free version to get started. Um, and then, yeah, you know, if you're trying to, to actually get into your science workflow, you know, just talk with our team. Like we have application scientists that are you know, happy to help out, meet up in VR and, and really show you, you know, in VR, in person, in virtual person, um, you know, how it actually works and like how it's actually helpful for research like GPCRs, which you know, it's a ton of people. I, I, I've learned a ton about GPCRs by just meeting with our, our customers and, and users in virtual reality and having them like explain their, their research and just chatting about it. And like we've made several YouTube videos for um, uh, this one researcher in Canada that's working on the serotonin 5-HT2A receptor. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I have no clue about how any of this stuff worked. And now I have a pretty good idea for um, you know, which parts are opening up and, and, and which parts are important. Uh, it's actually, um, interact with the receptor and yeah it's just so cool to to be able to to go in there and, and, and help these people's research and, and learn more about it yeah i did check out the uh, nano's youtube channel it's quite really fascinating to watch all these videos and um i also want to mention that uh, you guys have a monthly webinar as well um and mm -hmm. i and naively thought it would be in vr but not yet <laughs> that might well, be we, we have our own podcast in vr um, and, and the webinars are mostly 2D with like a VR portion. Like we just had Iktos on and we did a you know, 2D webinar for everyone that doesn't have access to VR right now. And then we did a meet the speakers in VR uh, after the webinar. Yeah. Um, so yeah, you know, we're, we're going, we're going more VR. That's awesome. That's awesome. Before I let you go, quick question. Um, where did the podcast idea come from? Um, 
Yeah, it's something that we've been talking about for a while because like we have the YouTube videos that are out there, um, but it really came out of like highlighting our user stories. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that, like I really wanted to, to showcase um, just like how everyone kind of, what, what their journey was in their career, how they got into you know, nano and virtual reality and, and just share more about like what they're doing mm-hmm. that's you know, impacting the world in various ways. And yeah, I think it kind of expanded beyond that, just be like, all right, like connecting with people in the community that are doing cool stuff and, and getting them on. Um, but yeah, you know, like the recording it in VR was something I really wanted to do and, and have you know, guests actually come into VR and, and record this like virtual reality podcast. We, we spatial record them as well. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't usually have like a lot of molecules. Sometimes we have a few molecules in there, but because it's mostly audio, we don't really focus on that. Like we really focus on the models in our YouTube videos. Um, but for the podcast, you know, very conversational, we just happen to be in the science metaverse and there, there happens to be a molecule next to us. Um, but we're chatting about other things and we're not you know, going super deep into the actual mechanisms of how these things work. Yeah, it's, it, th- those are very hard to capture when you're, um, you know, it's an audio program, it's a podcast. So I think it's a very nice complementation between the podcast and the YouTube uh, videos. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, Fantastic. and um, yeah, yeah, really uh, just trying to, to onboard people to the science metaverse and, and show them what's out there. And yeah, it's, it's called the Science Metaverse Podcast. And so we're really yeah. trying to, trying to get people just uh, exposed to, to what's possible. Amazing. I love it. I love it. Hopefully more after listening to this episode, more people will reach out and get a chance to test out Nanome. I think it's, it's such a cool idea. And Thanks. not only, not only it's a cool idea, but it's something that you can actually end up touching and seeing when it comes to your molecules with a beautiful tool. Definitely. And as the better haptic devices, you know, come into play, you know, you'll, you'll get more uh, presence and, and feeling and, and all that and be able to feel and pull and tug. But um, yeah, right now it's just, you know, big hand controllers with a little bit of vibration, um, but you can still, you know, kind of reach out and feel them. <laughs> That's awesome. That's, I, it's amazing. I can't wait to try it. I was excited before we started talking today the idea of trying out um nanome but now after we've talked i think it's uh it gone to from here to way up there um and if if i'm ever in the san diego area i'll uh i'll be more than happy if the invitation still sends to try out the uh, next level uh, experience definitely cool yeah that sounds great let me know absolutely thank you so much steve cool yeah thank you all right see you everyone bye-bye Thank you for listening to this Dr. GBCR podcast episode. I'd like to thank our guest as well as our team members, Attila Forrest and Ines Pinero. Become a beta tester today and sign up for the new and improved Dr. GPCR ecosystem 2.0 at ecosystem.drgpcr.com. Please subscribe to the Dr. GPCR newsletter, find us on YouTube, and if you like our podcast, leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcast. You can also leave us a testimonial at drgpcr.com testimonials. Another great way to support us is to share your favorite Dr. GPCR program with your network and colleagues. As always, if you have any questions or suggestions, email us at hello at drgpcr.com. Until next time, stay safe.